0: Hello, everyone. This is Michael Govee from the Cinema 9 podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me.
1: And I'm Derek Myers. And I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation.
0: Episode 233 Return of the Jedi Movie Review. McBryan, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week it was time for Derek to nominate a movie from our most recent pop culture fantasy draft year. That was 1983. So Derek decided to go with the the final movie in the original Star Wars trilogy, Return of the Jedi. This movie has been rehashed a million times over the last 40 years, so we're going to do everything we can this week to to bring a fresh perspective to it. But before we get to this movie, Derek, what pop culture can you educate me on this week, my friend?
1: Hey, Chris. Uh, well, I had a chance to watch uh, a fair amount of new stuff, actually. I, Ooh, I'll be very good. surprised if you've seen any of these things. No, you
0: need to educate me on this stuff. I don't right. watch any of this stuff.
1: Well, well, let's start with the TV. Okay. So uh, I think I mentioned on an episode a few weeks back uh, that I started watching 30 Rock. So I'm oh, still, yes. still yeah. going through. I, I finished season three. I finished season four. I'm about halfway through season five. The show ran for seven seasons. So I got a fair amount to go still. Mm-hmm. It's great. I, I'm enjoying it more and more as the show progresses it's one of those shows that just really once they got the the idea of like what are these characters like what are the personalities once the performers really understood what the characters were all about the show just went from good to great and i'm enjoying every minute of it i'm going to be very disappointed when i get to the end that there's none that there's none left but i have two and a half seasons to go so if anyone's looking for something to watch and you haven't seen 30 Rock, give it a try. I was I was sort of a Johnny-come-lately to this. I had never watched an episode when it was on real TV. I only started watching it about a month ago, and I'm really enjoying it. So it's two giant thumbs up for me on 30 Rock. Uh, I gave a show called Goliath a chance. Now, Chris, you had posted on social media earlier this week, as you do from time to time. Mm-hmm. Hey, hive mind of the social media world. What should I binge watch? And somebody suggested Goliath. And that's something that Mm -hmm. I had, I'd heard someone suggested that to me a while back. And I was like, okay, I looked at it. So it's uh, ran for four seasons and it stars Billy Bob Thornton as this curmudgeon down on his luck lawyer who, you know, used to be a great lawyer and now he's having, you know, he's fallen on hard times and, and it's like a, it's a legal drama, legal show. And it had a pretty decent cast, and I like Billy Bob Thornton most of the time. I mean, he's a pretty decent actor, even if you maybe aren't in love with the kind of roles he takes on. Like he's definitely talented. And uh, I watched it. I think it was eight episodes of, in this first season, and they're about an hour a piece. And honestly, I didn't really like it. I uh, I thought it, the performances were good, but I don't know. I just the character was so uh, he didn't really have any redeeming qualities in my opinion it was he reminded me of of dr house except house always had sort of a little bit of a lovable side uh despite being a you know this this grouchy know-it-all i want to do it my way i'm gonna buck the system uh it it sort of felt like that but in sort of the worst possible way so I, i i'm not giving it anymore i gave it one full season that was enough for me i know people love it i know it got great scores but just didn't do it for me so for those who suggested goliath appreciate the recommendation i didn't i didn't love it i had a chance to watch the latest one-shot offering from the marvel cinematic universe on disney plus so we're coming into halloween and they put out a one-hour special called werewolf by night Now, Werewolf by Night is the name of a comic series that ran, I think, in the 1970s. It was sort of a a horror comic. Uh, The character Moon Knight, who recently has made his appearance, his first comic book appearance was in an issue of Werewolf by Night. Not a book that I'm really that familiar with. Uh, And honestly, the whole monster side of Marvel Comics is not something I really got into. But there was this one hour special. I thought, okay, Uh, part of the gimmick is that they shot it in black and white which in Marvel is, you know, obviously they, they, it's not something they would normally do. And it's sort of got that feel of like those 50s style horror movies, the way it's shot and the way the story is is put together. Some of the effects are a little bit cheesy deliberately to sort of, sort of be that homage to those old series. Again, it was okay. I, I've watched just about everything Marvel's put out, so I sort of felt obligated to watch it. I did, again, I didn't love it, but it's not really the kind of thing that would normally have gotten my attention anyway, but I, I have been reading some very positive reviews from people who are into like those old fifties style horror movies. So again, if you're looking for something Halloween ish, that's new and you're a comic book fan, maybe give it a check it, you know, give it a try. The last real thing before I hit a documentary, I had a chance to go and watch John Wick part three. Now, Chris, have you seen any of the John Wick movies? No. Dude, what do you really? Think? I've never not, seen not John the first Wick one.
0: No. I don't even know what the hell they are.
1: Wow. It stars Keanu Reeves. He's like a retired assassin that comes out of retirement when, uh, you know, he's done wrong. Okay. And uh, each movie takes place immediately after the one that just happened. So, like, part one takes place over the course of, like, two days, and then part one ends with him, like, driving away, and part two picks up right with him in the car continuing to drive away, and then... The, the part two ended the same idea. Like it ended with him running and then like he was, he was being chased by some guys. And then this part three started exactly with that scene. So it's like, it's supposed to just be these like five or six extreme days in the life of this character, John wick. And it was great. It, I loved it. It had everything I expected it to have. It was very much like parts one and two it was action packed. Lots of great action sequences, lots of good shoot em ups, lots of good fights, lots of good chases. Um, it, it very violent, but again, that's by design. That's sort of a, the staple of this series. Uh, I was disappointed that it took me this long to get to it because uh, you know I, I saw part one almost immediately after it came out. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but uh, yeah. So that was sort of a little diamond in the rough that I found this week. I thought, oh, I'm going to give this a try, and I, I was very, very happy that I had a chance to watch it. So two giant thumbs up for John Wick for the series, but for part three, which I just visited for the very first time this week. And then finally, I watched a documentary.
0: For 40 days and 40 nights, he documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's Documentaries. Derek's Documentaries. Oh, please do share. What documentary do All you right. watch? So this is a sports documentary. Nice.
1: And Chris, do you know who the great imposter is? And okay. From a sports point yes. of view? No, I don't think so. Okay, so... Um, the sports documentary was called The Great Imposter and mm-hmm. Me. It's part of the ESPN E60 uh, documentary series, which has been running for like 15 years or more. Mm-hmm. Um, the, these documentaries are fantastic uh here in canada we get them on tsn um because obviously we don't get espn here in canada but uh it, it is available on demand so if you are a subscriber to tsn and you're looking for this doc and after i talk about it you're definitely going to want to watch it uh it's it was easy to find no problem you just got to download the tsn app so it's called the great imposter and me so the great imposter what happened was in the 1970s this guy uh he told his friends he goes hey we're go-, they were going to the basketball all-star game in like 1978 and he goes. I'll bet you guys I can get down there on the court and throw some baskets during the game. And the guys were like, There's no way you're going to be able to do that. And he's like, How much you want to bet? And the guys, his three buddies are like, We'll each give you a hundred bucks if you can get onto the court and sink a basket. And they're like, not they're like, if you get down there and you get caught, that doesn't count. You have to actually throw a basketball at the hoop. And he's like, Okay, I'll take that bet. And he comes up with this crazy hairbrain scheme and totally gets away with it. He goes on for the warmups, after the halftime he goes out, he's talking with the players, he's shooting free throws and then finally he gets caught. And then he's a sensation. He appears on Johnny Carson. He appears on the Today show. Uh he starts doing all these TV appearances and it he like becomes the, you know, the 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 flavor of the month kind of thing and he he's he's this good-looking guy who's got this great personality and so of course as he's making these TV appearances, everyone's falling in love with them. They're like, man, this guy is amazing. And of course, everyone who knows him is like, that's just his personality. And it's like now his reputation is just like ballooning. But then he gets a taste for it. So then he he starts trying to sneak into other sports events. So, like, he sneaks onto the baseball all-star game and he does batting practice with them. He uh, he pretends to be a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader to get onto the the football. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a Super Bowl, but definitely one of the games. He pretends to be a baseball umpire. He pretends to be a, a football referee. He pretends to be uh, all... He, he did nine holes at the Masters pretending to be an amateur uh, at the Masters. This guy went and, all out, didn't he? All out. Like, it was this whole thing of just the confidence 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 of if you go somewhere and act like you're supposed to be there and you can talk the talk and walk the walk Mm -hmm. and dress the part nobody questions it And this was in the 70s so this was before internet and facial recognition and security and all that stuff and he was 100% transparent about it like once he got to wherever he was supposed to be he would say to like the players and the officials he's like i'm an imposter i'm not supposed to be here i'm doing this to win a bet and most of the players were just having a great time they thought it was hilarious So the first half of this documentary is all about this guy called the great imposter and how he like constantly. And of course, every time he does this, he eventually does get caught in each circumstance. He goes back onto the Johnny Carson show. He goes back to the Today Show. He goes back to Good Morning America. And they keep having him on and they keep talking to him about like, how are you able to continue to do this? And so he's But again, his personality is such that everyone just wants to hear his stories. So that's the first half of this documentary. And on its own, that would be a great documentary. Unfortunately, in the early 2000s, this gentleman developed uh, esophagus cancer and died. Well, not long after that, it was discovered that as a young man, he was a sperm donor. And so when the the 23andMe genetic testing started to become a thing, people can do their genetic tests and it'll say like, you are 20%. German and 30 percent Italian and whatever and so all these people were doing that and then there's a button that can say Click here and we'll put you in touch with other people that share your DNA Well, what ended up happening was this guy because he was he met all like he checked all the right boxes His sperm was used like 40 times So all of a sudden all of these children that were fathered by this same guy start meeting each other online through the 23andMe app. That's why it's called The Great Imposter and Me. And so, of course, this doesn't happen until after he dies. And so then it's the ramifications of, like, well, how does his quote-unquote real family interact with these people who are genetically also their family? So it's just this, like, insane story. The first half is all about this guy who fakes his way onto sports teams, and then the second half is all about all of these children that are now – uh you know that that he fathered uh through uh through uh, artificial insemination like there's no there's no foul play it wasn't cheating on his wife or anything like that it was just all of these kids start like realizing hey i have 40 brothers and sisters so no it's fantastic this this is a an awesome documentary it's called the great imposter and me it's part of the espn e60 doc series check it out it was amazing
0: Wow, it sounds very interesting. So, yeah. Wow. It's only an hour and 10 minutes, so it's it's not even that long. So um, we mentioned that in addition to being podcasters ourselves, Derek, you and I also listen to a lot of other podcasts, don't we? Definitely. So I wanted to give a shout out to one that I've recently discovered that is right up my alley. It's called Vintage Video. It's hosted by Patrick O'Reilly, Jesse Bayless, and Richard Wells, and their mission is to go back and watch every single major release feature film of the 1980s. They start with 1980, and they chronologically go through every single movie released that year. And then they move on to 1981. And, and they don't just gloss over these movies. I'm talking like they give an hour-long podcast episode to each film. I mean, where else can you find an hour-long podcast with three people talking about Kill and Kill again? The, the movie that I mentioned last week, Derek. Yeah. The one on the Zoom app. And the thing is, in a lot of cases, they're just watching these movies for the first time themselves. So you get this fresh take on things. I, I really like this podcast a lot. Vintage Video, it's called. And Patrick is, is kind of like the, sort of the lead host. Like he does this deep dive on the plot. And he walks mm-hmm. you through the entire film, scene by scene. And they, they drop in a lot of clips like sound clips from the movies. I'm not sure how they get away with that. I don't know whether they secured the rights to the sound bites. I don't know. Who knows? But I've really been enjoying it. And so what I like to do is I have to go back and pick out some of the hidden gems from that time. And you know me, Derek, I've got a lot of those Yep, <laughs> from like 1981 and stuff. And then I like to see what their take on the movie is. They They don't always, you know, share my thoughts on the movies. So for example, I love Continental Divide with John Belushi they all hated it and to be pretty fair pretty much everyone I've ever met hates that movie you know so I still love it I don't care but so if you like old movies like I do and you appreciate like a real deep dive on them think about giving vintage video a listen I don't think you'd be very disappointed it's really good maybe maybe we can convince them to come on here with us sometime as guests that would be really cool so yeah no kidding all right I've also got this for us Here's your Dad Joke of the Week. Since we're doing Return of the Jedi this week, I thought I'd do a related dad joke for you, Derek. Okay? Okay, okay. Derek, why are Ewoks not meant to be left outside?
1: Hmm. I don't know, Chris.
0: Because they're Endor pets.
1: Oh, man. Wow, that sucked. These are, these get worse. <clears throat> a super nerd. Dude,
0: I don't know how you didn't get more girls in high school. Or guys, for that matter. I got no... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. You're to a gay man. Just club them over the head and drag them all. Yeah. Oh, my, my, my. And I play a lot of
1: Dungeons & Dragons. You're not a nerd. Oh, women kind of, love Well, yeah, they do, but they're all nerdy women, so... The Fonz is
0: 73 years old.
1: Raiders of the Lost Ark is basically Steven Spielberg giving a master's
0: class on how to make a movie. I found a Fonzie shirt that I want <laughs> for side, Christmas, yeah. and my wife was like, you're not getting that. Can I
1: finish? Can I finish? <laughs> okay, i finished.
0: Before we get into the movie, our producer cut you off there with the, with the drop. Are you saying my dad jokes are getting worse and worse every week? Your dad jokes are getting worse and worse. I mean, I would think you're at least getting,
1: becoming a better dad. You're becoming a worse dad joker.
0: Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I disagree on both those counts. Okay, so we're going to talk about Return of the Jedi this week. So as we mentioned off the top of the show, we recently held another one of our pop culture fantasy drafts. And, and Derek, congratulations again, because you took home the trophy. Thanks sir. With a ruling of 6 to 3 from our panel of judges so you know good for you. As we always do after we have a draft, we each pick a movie from the draft here that we can go back and watch and then review. I went with Splash last week, which was a bit of a mistake since I screwed up being as it came out in 1984, not 1983, but the IMDb had it as 80,
1: 83 as well and you and I both missed out on that. We both we just took mm-hmm. it. Again, can't trust everything you read on the internet. We both made that mistake, so
0: Well, you went with a movie that actually was released in 1983, and we all know it was released in 1983 because it was the highest grossing film that year, and it was Return of the Jedi. I am a bit curious to know why you wanted to go back and watch that movie. We've never reviewed Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back on this podcast, and I know you've mentioned previously that pretty much everything Star Wars has been done to death. So why Return of the Jedi, Derek?
1: So I found that, at least in my experience, Return of the Jedi tends to get a lot of hate. Empire Strikes Back tends to get a lot of love as being, you know, the best sequel ever. And, and arguably from a lot of people, they feel it's the best of the Star Wars movies that has ever come out. Um, and, definitely, and it, definitely the greatest science fiction film ever made. I would yeah, say. like yeah. It, it gets all the mm-hmm. accolades. And rightly so. Like, it's a great film. Yep. Um, but I think that it, Jedi suffers a little bit from, that's a hard act to follow. And I think no matter what Jedi put out, they weren't going to reach the same height that Empire did both in the moment and over time. I think that it just gets a lot of hate that it doesn't necessarily deserve because it's constantly being compared to the movie that came out right before it, both, you know, story-wise, chronologically. And, and, and that's a, that's, that's a tough beat. You know, I felt that uh, with the Batman movies from Christopher Nolan, same idea, like the dark Knight was just so good the bar was set so high that when that third movie came out, you knew it wasn't going to hit the mark. Now, uh, that one, you know, with the Batman movies, I don't think was quite as good, but I, I I wanted to revisit Return of the Jedi on its own as an individual movie to sort of get a, another look at it, to, to to really decide does it deserve some of the the hate that it's been getting? Because I, I don't – honestly, I don't think it does, especially now that we've had an opportunity to watch – episodes one two three and episodes seven eight nine like those movies have had a lot of a lot of haters there's been a lot of criticism for a lot of reasons and i wanted to go back and see how does return of the jedi hold up all these years later having now these other things in our in our frame of in our frame of vision and i know maybe you haven't seen all of those uh pieces maybe you've seen the movies but not the tv shows kind of thing but I wanted to go back and revisit it. And and we were talking beforehand. We probably could have done this podcast without either one of us ever going back to watch Return of the Jedi. We've seen it so many times. Mm-hmm. We could talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. But I did go back and watch it. And I haven't actually sat down and watched it start to finish in probably 10 years or more. And I think the last couple of times I did watch it in its entirety was in a binge of Star Wars Empire Jedi. So I always seem to get it as that third part coming off of that, empire strikes back high and so i just wanted to watch it by itself and i think that was very helpful way to watch it and i think it i've got a few things i want to talk about through the course of this discussion that i think that
0: really helped bring to bring to light i did the same thing as you i just i watched it recently i watched it just last night on its own with nothing else like out of context of the other films um in regard to the box office that year it was the king in 1983, oh yeah, 247 million dollars. It it finished over over a hundred million dollars more than the second place film, which was Tootsie, and then Flashdance was third. Trading Places and War Games ran into the top five. Uh, Jaws 3D didn't make the top ten, believe it or not. Neither did Porky's Two the next day, unfortunately. So th- you you mentioned a really interesting point, and I just want to circle back to it because where the Jedi is often c- considered to be like like an also ran in the Star Wars universe. And, and I I get it, like you said, like, I mean, but I just want to put things in perspective. So this might be a little bit difficult for a younger generation to fully appreciate. But back in 1977, a single movie literally changed the world. It's hard to grasp a world without Star Wars. But when it came out, it changed everything. Like, it changed the way movies were made. It changed the way people around the world thought of movies. Like, Changed so, fandom. Absolutely. Like the way people interacted with films, right? So Star Wars is at the top of the pedestal when it comes to movies, I think just in general. but And the other thing too is at the time, like sequels were not a big deal. They were almost always inferior to to the first film they were usually hokey like if you think of like the planet of the apes movies back in the 70s oh yeah they weren't sequels were never really taken all that seriously and then along comes empire strikes back like you mentioned without a doubt the greatest sequel in movie history so in all of that perspective jedi doesn't stand a chance you know it's never going to live up to the standards of those first two movies i also i think it's i think it's grossly underrated though if, if that's humanly
1: possible yeah um, no i i gotta agree after watching it again this like i just honestly i just watched it today after watching right. it again today i do i think i think it's underrated in the grand scheme of things given how diluted the star wars brand has become where would you rank jedi though in the star wars universe number three and no so, no so, number four sorry i think okay. rogue one is, i think rogue one is better than jedi interesting so number one
0: for you is empire
1: yeah, I think number 1 would have to be Empire. Well, I don't know. It's that's a tough one. One I think between Star Wars and Empire it's a it's a coin flip. Depends on the day of the week, but yeah, I think Empire would probably going to win that coin flip more often than not. So I would probably go Empire Star Wars as a 1-2 nose nose to nose tie and mm. then the next big step would be Rogue One and then Jedi. And I think Rogue One and Jedi are like right there next to each other.
0: You know, for me, my top three movies of all time are Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Jaws, and they're interchangeable. So Star Wars is number one for me, Empire is number two, and Jedi is number three. Yeah. But, you know, keep in mind, you know where I stand on this issue. Yeah. I believe they should have stopped making Star Wars movies back in 1983. Like, there was was a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And, And it told a story... And then it was over. Yep. And the prequels were awful. The new movies are dumb. It it started with Star Wars. It ended with Jedi. It just... Get off my lawn! Oh, that's my <laughs> old man rant for the day. That's yep. me. I saw this movie in theaters when it came out. as I'm sure you probably did too. Absolutely, yeah. I watched it literally a million times on VHS in the 80s and 90s. I've introduced it to my kids. And now that I've gotten you know older and I had a family... I think, I feel like I look back at this film through a different lens now, you know, as an adult than I did as a kid and a, and a sort of a younger adult, but I have a, I have a question for you. What do you think is the major theme in Return of the Jedi? Redemption. Okay. Cause I think for most of my life, I've also thought that Jedi was a story about redemption. You know, Darth Vader turns back to being a good guy. You know very fitting narrative back in the 80s with all the wrestling that was going on in pop culture sure you always had good guys and bad guys you know they'd sometimes switch sides well i mean you you could you could also say it's like uh a coming of
1: age story right it's it's the the young farm boy who was Mm -hmm. nobody has is now become the magic space wizard who is the four you know is the chosen one kind of thing so it's that that idea of the king making story too right for the rags to riches uh not that we're talking material wealth but that idea of the the completion the maturity the 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 arc, the development arc of this of the Luke Skywalker character, who went from you know the poor kid to the absolute hero of the story. So I mean, there's that there's that side of it as well. But mm-hmm. I, I would I would think the redemption though. I think that's I think that's what Lucas was was sort of going
0: yeah. and, and like you, that's always what I thought. This movie is about redemption. But now that I'm older and I can reflect on this movie a little bit more, and I've spent some time over the last little while doing that, coming into this podcast. I don't think it's about redemption so for me i think the overarching theme of jedi is forgiveness without forgiveness and grace you could argue you can never have peace and i think there's nothing more important in the whole wide world than forgiveness even if that world is a long time ago in a galaxy far far away the archetypes are still the same so For me luke always represented virtue and here's the here's the key for me the original trilogy is the story of luke skywalker it's not the story of darth vader it's not a story about the force or about jedi knights or any of that stuff for me anyway all those things are just tools to help tell the story about luke skywalker it is his story so yes yeah, Therefore, I agree. The end of Jedi is not about the redemption of Darth Vader. It's about the virtue of Luke. So the end when 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 Vader saves Luke from the Emperor, it's not about him getting redeemed. It's not about his story coming full circle. It's about Luke forgiving his father. And I and I think that's probably why I hate the prequels so much because they just ignore this idea. Yeah.
1: Like no luke, that's that's a good that's a good uh a good take i think yeah it's because you're right the the prequels definitely sort of try to change the narrative to make it the yeah. the story the luke's the the darth vader story which you're right it's not the darth vader story the, these three
0: movies are the luke skywalker story you're right luke, lucas seemed to think that the star wars story like you said was instead about darth vader and and it's not not to me it's about luke so going back and like you know, wasting three crappy movies about Darth Vader as Anakin Skywalker. It just isn't aligned with this original trilogy. And it's probably why I hate the newer trilogy less because at least that incorporate those movies incorporate Luke more into the story. I I still don't like those new movies because like I said, the story comes to a conclusion in Jedi it's over. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to leave good enough alone, you know, like money or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. So you talked
1: about seeing this in the theater. So yes. like you, I saw in the theater and when this movie came out, I would have been seven, hang on, seven, six, seven, eight, eight, eight or nine years old. Like I was still very young, still playing with toys. I owned just about every star Wars empire strikes back and return of the Jedi action figure and toy. You can imagine, uh, between my brother and I, I mean, we, we had everything. And, this one I definitely was. I, I remember seeing the theater, and this was still at a time where uh, home videos weren't like VHS players were were still just sort of coming onto the market,
0: so not More everybody 84. had a VHS. Eighty four yeah. is when it kind of that exploded.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you couldn't just go home and watch it whenever you wanted. So I do remember, like with the other ones, the movie came out. It had a long theatrical run, and then it was re released at later points, as as so many great movies from the early 80s were. Like, I can remember E.T. was re-released. I can remember them bringing back Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi for special occasions in the theater because people had no other way to watch them, and it was an easy way for the producers to make more money. It's like, let's just throw them back in the theater. People will pay to see them again, and, and of course, I did. And uh, so I can definitely remember seeing this in the theater multiple times. And then, of course, I, I've paid the nerd tax throughout my life. i bought uh star wars empire and jedi on video at least three or four different times in different different formats of video i definitely bought them on dvd more than once i bought them on blu-ray i have paid that nerd to my buddy uh, uh paulie uh you know from kim's convenience that he coined that he's like star wars is a nerd tax he's like every star wars fan when they put out a new version of star wars on a new format they buy it no matter what, even if you already own the seven previous versions, it's still Star Wars. You're still going to buy. It. It's just a straight up nerd tax. Oh, we put special features on it. Buy it again. Nerd tax. Oh, now we've got us director commentary with behind the scenes. OK, buy that one too. nerd tax. So I've paid the Jedi nerd tax over and over again. And, and honestly, I probably will if they put them out again. I can't help <laughs> myself. Um, but no, this this movie definitely I this although I did see all three original movies in the theater, this is the one I was. I have the most memory of because I was oldest when it came out. Like when the first two came out, I was still so, so young. I I don't really remember a lot of the theatrical experience, but this Jedi, I absolutely remember so many of the different times I saw in the theater. I remember playing with the toys. I remember reading the comic books. I remember playing, you know, playing just like you go out on the playground with your friends like we're gonna play star wars today and it's like okay i'm luke and you're han and you would like just pretend to be star wars like that was a thing you did when you were little kids
0: and yeah this this movie definitely uh was a huge influence on me i remember the movie looked great in the theater of course on the big screen and everything and then but my relationship with it was more on vhs through the 80s and then i remember a couple years ago i was over visiting my parents and they've got this my my, my parents are getting older so they decided they're going to get this Big screen TV for their living room. It's almost like too big for their living room. So they they put this TV in there and Return of the Jedi is on when I go over there to visit. So I'm like, sorry, I'm putting this on. Put the movie on. And the TV they bought was one of these 4K TVs, you know, where they try to make it look like it's 3D, you know. But they had one of the first versions of this TV. So the technology was substandard. (laughs) And Return of the Jedi comes on and it just looked so weird, like this fake looking 4K technology is going on. And I'm like, and I'm kind of talking to my parents and I'm also like Jedi is on and I'm kind of like looking at going, what the hell is going on? Does, does Jedi look this bad? Like up close? You know, after all these years watching it on VHS, you know, don't have like all the, the good quality. Like, does it look this bad? Like, I don't remember it. But uh, it turns out it wasn't the case. It was just their TV sucked. Um, but speaking of that, there, there and you mentioned this off, to, off the top, there have been a lot of criticisms of this film, you know, over the years. And I think we could touch base on a couple and just address them, the pacing in the movie. So it does take about 20 minutes. For things to kind of get going, which is a departure from the first two movies, especially the first one with that, you know, it that it just opens with such a huge bang. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and speaking of that opening. So I, I've said this before, Derek, that opening shot in Star Wars is the greatest movie opening in history. The Star Destroyer going overhead, chasing the rebel ship jaw dropping. I was seven years old in theater when I got to see that. My mind was blown. And then you've got the battle with the stormtroopers and vader comes in. It was just also amazing. So I got thinking about the opening to Jedi and 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 I wanted to kind of analyze it frame by frame. So last night in bed, crawl in bed and I put the movie on because I like I just want to look at that opening scene again. There's that opening shot. And I thought to myself I'm just going to watch this shot, get a better feel for it again in contrast to everything. And then two and a half hours later, like my wife wakes up and she's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I'm watching Return of the Jedi. She's like, again? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I can't help it. It's so good. So, oh man, so good. Um, so What do we think about Solo? I want to talk a little bit about Han Solo in this because Harrison Ford quite famously wanted his character to die in the second movie. And Lucas would have none of it. And any good story goes to crap in the second act, right? And I think they kind of compromise by having Solo frozen in carbonite. And obviously, Jedi opens up, you know, with them having to rescue him from Jabba. But then they get him out and they unfreeze him. And basically, he doesn't really have much to do with the rest of the movie. I mean, like, yeah, he goes down to Endor to help disable the deflector shield. But but anyone could have done that, really. Like, do you not think he was underutilized in this film? Yeah,
1: I I did. I definitely felt that on this go through as uh, I just felt he um, yeah, he didn't he didn't really have any standout scenes other than the part that the getting in Jabba's palace when he's when he's blind and he can't see. And a lot of that is played for humor and the fact that he's shooting a blaster and he's like, hey, I thought you were blind. And like so that that sort of works as part of the the this scene uh, the rescue uh, you know uh, we'll call it a rescue scene but it's like a 25 minute scene um but yeah after that it's like where's the the roguish charm the like the, he has a couple of interesting lines like when they're get, giving the security code and he's telling Chewbacca he's like you know they're not buying it like get ready to get out of here and he's like just you know fly casual like there's sort of these right. these catchphrases that yeah. have come out of out of the movie but yeah it's like it's almost lacking uh, a real story arc for him. Like something that, that stand out that is a specifically, this is something that only Han Solo could do and, and nobody else could. So I think you're right. I mean, they do try to play it up a little bit in the fact that he always seems to have bad luck, but then something good comes of it. Like the little things, like when he's sneaking up on the stormtrooper and he steps on the twig, it's like, Oh, right. now the guy knows it. And then it's, it's played out. But, but yeah, it definitely felt that, uh, Jedi return of the Jedi is definitely more of the Luke Skywalker movie. And the other characters really don't, I didn't feel got the, the same kind of treatment they got in the first two.
0: I, I'm glad that you mentioned um, Harrison Ford in the early part of the movie. Like when he, he gets unfrozen and he's going through like the hibernation sickness and all this. Yeah. And he's blind. Cause yeah, I thought he actually did a really good job with the part. Like he, he did. He's a quite a good actor. And it's interesting too, because he was really the only of those three actors that didn't get typecast as a result yeah. of being in Star Wars, which is funny because this movie came out, you know, two years after Raiders. And if you think about it, like Han Solo, the, the same actor played Han Solo, plays Indiana Jones, but you don't confuse the two in any way. And it's not like he changed his appearance all that much in, Indiana, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, he wore a fedora and didn't shave all that much. Right. But other than that, like, didn't do a whole lot. But the, you do not even conflate the characters in any way. So I think Harrison Ford is a very good actor. So, uh, okay, another thing I wanted to mention with, was Jabba. So the practical special effects jumped out at me. Yes, agreed. So much In all the right ways. Than, yes, so much better than CGI. And you know, I'm always harping on this. But the CGI Jabba in Star Wars, remember the special edition they came out with? Like, that was so bad. And I know that that scene that they added in that extra scene where Han is, like, walking outside the Millennium Falcon and he's talking to Jabba. It was originally filmed with an actor who was walking yes. and talking. And then they just, yeah. you know, superimposed Jabba. They're terrible. But even CGI Jabba in the Book of Boba Fett, which I think that some of that stuff, Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian are very good. They're, they're, they're actually quite good Star Wars stuff. But, you know, CGI has also come a long way. But even in those things, Jabba still looks better in Jedi than he does in the Book of Boba Fett, where he's CGI'd. I think there's one where there's like two Jabba's and they're like up on this platform and they bring him in, in the Book of Boba Fett. And it still looks fake. Like nothing beats Jabba actually being there, occupying the space, you know? So I agree. And... I want to,
1: so definitely that's on the plus side, and I think um, a lot of the creatures that we see in Jabba's palace, a lot of the creatures that we see on the sail barge scene, at least in the original movie, um, look great. The practical effects, the makeup, the you know the quote unquote rubber suits and rubber masks—they're done in such a way that they look realistic. And I think that, uh, so I, I actually had the fortune that I, I have still because I keep paying the nerd tax, I have the original cut of the Return of the Jedi movie and that's the version I watched. So so when they show them on TV, they always show the the re-edits and there's a lot of little scenes and little snippets that have been added in where they CGI in other aliens or as long as it doesn't have one of the main characters, Luke, Leia, Han Solo in the scene, because obviously they're real people with real faces. If it's a character under a hood or under a mask then you can just shoot those scenes or use the computer and throw them in there. So, but when they do that in these new touched-up versions, you can immediately tell which characters are new, which characters yep. were originally there. Yep. And I found going back and watching the original cut, it just looked so great. However, well, I want to talk about Ewoks. Do you want to transfer that? Yeah, no, more I want to talk I about, about Jabba's palace for a minute okay, because let's keep the thing about for me Java, is. But then we're gonna flip this coin. I'm gonna talk. I, I have some some. Ewok
0: revelations sure. based on my yeah. Let's well, we'll go into Let's with Jabba's for palace for a minute. So, so the thing was when Lucas made the first Star Wars, like he he was famously disappointed in the cantina scene because like he ran out of money, you know, the creature shop didn't have enough creatures, whatever. You know, he just wasn't happy with it. And needless to say, audiences loved it. Mm-hmm. So then, when he got around to making Jedi, Jama's palace scene was supposed to be sort of the monster rally of his dreams, you know. I never really agreed with that. I always thought the Cantina sequence in Star Wars was better than Jabba's Palace. What do you think about that? I think the scene in the original Star
1: Wars is better, but I think Jabba's Palace looks better. Like I found that you had all this great visual in Jabba's Palace, but I didn't feel that the scenes in the palace were really that great. I even commented on that. I was watching it this afternoon, and my wife was uh, in the other room, and I said, "Like, at, like, are you telling me at night all these people just?" put go up against a wall and put their heads down and go to sleep like in a palace like this the guy's a criminal he's like this underworld mastermind you're telling me this isn't a 24 hour operation like people just like java decides okay it's nighttime everyone go to sleep turn off the lights and and that's it like it just seemed like a wasted set piece to me uh that, that wasn't developed enough and i mean with the movie running over two hours you don't necessarily need 10 more minutes in java's palace or maybe you do and you cut it out of something else Whereas with the cantina scene in Star Wars, stuff was constantly happening. It felt like an actual bar. It felt like an actual place. But to your point, I always felt that there was so much of a mishmash of different things in the cantina scene that some of them just felt a little out of place. Um, and whereas with Jabba's Palace, it was it, it was a little more uh, meticulous. There was a little bit more in my mind. I always felt there was a little bit of of a better design element going on,
0: but but again, take it or leave it. They were both good for their own reasons, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned about the, the CGI stuff that they've added in sort of jumps off the screen to you. You really notice it, because I thought it was just awful. Cy Snoodles, in the original cut of the film, was awesome. She was basically a marionette that had operators both under and over her. It was kind of working her movements. And there was like a thin wire between her mouth and the microphone, and it just all worked so well. And then they go in this new one and they superimpose this CGI cartoon over top of her. And it just really. Looks, oh, no. yeah. It looks so bad. It was so out of place. There's a close up of her mouth singing. If you go, if you watch the like you saying you watch the original on DVD. Yes. Good for you. I watched the one on Disney Plus. Oh, so boy. it's it's the new version. And size noodles is the CGI size noodles. It, it just doesn't work. And then they they go and add the sidekick for her. I don't know, this, like, stupid... And they changed the music, too. The new they knew cuts did. have totally they, different music. They In Jabba's Palace, them. it's different music. Yep. With the Ewoks, it's different music. And her, her like, I don't know, like, backup singer or something. It look, looks like a goat with a beard or something. Like, it just... It looks like the CGI cartoon. It just... The, it ruined the whole scene for me, so... And, but, I mean, you wanted to go on to the the, uh, the Ewoks, so we'll do that. Yeah, And so, then we can go back, because I want to talk about the Rancor and the Sarlacc, too, so... All right, so... I think this is the reason most people
1: crap on Return of the Jedi is they feel the Ewoks ruined the movie. Now, on their face, the idea of this, we'll call it, quote unquote, more primitive life form helping the rebels overcome the technologically advanced empire. I mean, I like that thematically. And some of the execution of how it plays out in the movie, I think, works very well. But... The Ewoks just, they look, you know, who are we kidding? Even with the practical effects, they kind of look crappy. And that that's always bugged me. And I think that's always bugged a lot of people. So I was trying to, this time through, I was trying to come up with more than just the, the statement, I don't like the Ewoks. I wanted to be a little more critical. Like, what can I offer as feedback? And I think I really realized the two main things of why I didn't like them why I don't think they worked. Number one, they don't blink at all like the the masks that the actors are wearing the actors have to see through the eyes in the masks so the the eyes don't have that ability to blink and i think with the new cgi characters that you get in these movies there's more attention paid to those little details and with something like a a puppet like Jabba, part of the care that's taken in his Java, does his he blinks his eyes open and close, and they they help him emote, they help him express, and and that makes sense. That's how real living creatures work. And I found with the Ewoks, the fact that their eyes were just glued open really threw me off. And and I guess I hadn't really been able to place it until this time when I was like just really trying to analyze what I didn't like about them. And I realized that was the number one thing that bugged me, was the fact that they don't blink just made them feel that much more artificial. The second thing, a little bit more of a minor detail, was I really noticed that the costumes looked like costumes. And partly, in my mind, the reason that was is they were way too clean and, and way too, kept, like they were too nice. And I, my thought was anybody who owns a dog knows that your dog goes outside and they're going to brush up against things. Their fur is going to get you know matted in certain places. If they if they're in the bush, they're gonna like rub up against trees and things. You're gonna have parts of the dog that gets dirty. And I felt with the Ewoks, the it just literally looked like these perfect costumes that had come from the dry cleaners. I felt if they were a little dirtier, a little matted in places, um, I think that would have helped me accept them as real creatures. All I kept seeing were actors in suits, and I feel that a lot of people felt the same way, and that's why they don't like them. Now, it's not to say that I think they all need to be replaced with computer-generated Ewoks. I don't necessarily think that would have helped anything. But I think for a film franchise that prides itself so much on practical effects, I really feel that the Ewoks were a huge misstep. This was this was this huge undertaking to, to create hundreds of, look clearly hundreds and hundreds of, of extras and actors in these costumes. So they obviously had to just produce them as fast as they could to, to meet deadlines. But come on, it's, it's like, you think of like some of the zombie movies you have today over time, they've learned, like there are ways to make extras who are playing zombies look more zombie like. And I think this was the problem is because it was sort of the first time this kind of thing was undertaken on this kind of a scale. They didn't necessarily have the know-how of how do we make these little teddy bear people look like they're actually
0: really living in the wild. So anyway, hot take by me. I don't know. One thing that I liked about the Ewoks is I think the whole idea of them taking on the Empire with sticks and stones to me is true to the original spirit of Star Wars. Yes. Because if you go back to the first film, when Luke's going down the trench, he doesn't use technology. Right. He shuts off his computer to go tech free. And then R2 is shot to further kind of take away that whole reliance on tech. Like it's yep. basically saying you can overcome anything. You can defeat the empire just yep. by using non sophisticated means. And, and I think that's just repeated here in Jedi with the Ewoks. So I don't know. I, I'm fine with the Ewoks. I want to tell you a little bit of a story if I could. Um, you know how much I love to drop random Gen X movie quotes on my kids it's cuz yes i do they, they never have a clue what the hell i'm ever talking about it's like an inside joke with myself you know i, I know I'm, I'm lame that way but anyway so one of my favorite characters in jedi has always been Nub. you know I who, know who i is. mean he's no. the weird looking little guy that co-pilots with lando in the in
1: the oh in the yeah park. the the what do they call him? Pancake face, which of yeah, he, is a very, very non-flattering name for him. Yeah, us. he's got
0: like these little really yeah. wet lips and he like, he speaks some weird language. And at one point he says something that's always sounded to me like mudahada, mudahada, mudahada. And, and sure. so for whatever reason, I always got a kick out of that. So when my son was really little, I used to like, I mean, like, like a little baby, I would lay him down on the bed and I used to tickle his belly. And I used to always say mudahada, 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 mudahada. He just would do this, and he would laugh and laugh and laugh, and it was like really fun. It was a little thing we did. So anyway, he gets a little bit older, and then you know when he goes to school, you know those things that they have in school. And I know you don't have kids, but you've probably seen these. It's like a list that they have to fill in. That's like my dad is blank years old. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad's favorite food is blank. You know, so my kid, my kid gets this thing. I know he's in like kindergarten or something. And there's a spot where it says my favorite thing to do with my dad is blank. And he writes, mudahada, <laughs> <laughs> And the teacher just puts this giant question mark. Question mark, mark. On of the course, sheet. yeah. Like, I'm almost expecting I'm going to get a call from, like, children's age. You know, like, they're going to be like, Sir, we want to talk about this activity you've been doing with your children called mudahada. Would you care to explain that to us? So it, it, it's from Return of the Jedi. So. There you go. I would like to ask you about Lucas's master plan. So. There's this big part of the Star Wars fandom that believes Lucas had this whole thing mapped out in his head from the beginning. I call BS on it all. So here's why Star Wars wasn't originally called Episode Four, it was called Star Wars. Right. And when they decided they were going to make a sequel, you remember what the working title was? It was Star Wars Two. You know? So, that, and there was that whole lame thing in Jedi where he's like, you know, where Ben says, what, what I told you was true from a certain point of view, that whole thing. And then Leia as the sister, I, I felt like the subplot of her as the sister was only introduced because a couple of reasons. Number one, they had a big reveal in Empire Strikes Back, obviously with Vader as the father. Yeah. So, they needed something in return to the Jedi. And the script also calls for something to motivate Luke to finally come out of hiding and to, like to fight Vader. And this was really accomplished by adding Leia as a sister because the Vader threatens to go after her. So right. I, I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways, like Lucas was kind of making this up as he was going along and people give him too much credit for kind of, you know, seeing this thing as a big picture thing from the beginning. I never saw it that way. I don't know.
1: Well, I got to I mean, as a, quote-unquote creative type myself like i i took creative writing and i play role-playing games so like storytelling is a big part of my my entertainment right um i know when i'm pitching a story idea let's i'll use Dungeons and dragons as an example if i'm if i'm creating a Dungeons dragon story yes i'm focused on the here and now what is this story and how are we going to use it in our game today but in the back of my mind i usually think a few steps ahead like where could this go if it if it works and where would i take this story as this as the storyteller that's not to say that you know i'm going to write 30 pages of notes on what could happen but i'm going to give it some thought and that's where what i believe sort of the lucas plan was is yeah he had fleshed out star wars and probably just had an inkling of this is where i think i might take these stories should i have those opportunities i do not believe for a second that he had you know, full on banged out scripts in his mind of what these things were going to be. I think like any other good storyteller, and you can argue whether or not you think Lucas is a good storyteller, you sit down to do it and you start writing and you start writing and you start writing and then you get into the revision process. And that's when you start to realize, well, in the course of creating your story, you come up with these side stories or these tangents that that actually work really well. And then you got to go back and rework it. How do I make that? feel like it's a seamless part of what's coming here and i and i think that's probably more along the lines of how how lucas were again i don't know i'm only guessing but if i had to guess i think that's more of what it was yeah, that's
0: fair enough oh you know one thing i was just thinking about i wanted to go back and talk we were talking about the cgi stuff they put in one thing that they didn't mess around with and then one thing that they did uh, i want to mention them both one thing they didn't mess around with was the rancor mm-hmm. which i'm glad they didn't do anything extra like adding any cgi in there because I thought that the Rancor scene looked great. Oh, and one thing I wanted to mention, too. Remember the Rancor's Keeper? The guy that... Yes. He's, like, crying when the Rancor... A little overweight, killed? no shirt. Yeah. yeah. He was also in For Your Eyes Only, which we did here on the podcast not that long ago. Um, he played Binky in that. He was the guy with with the Countess who was playing Blackjack with James Bond. And then he goes I, on, I honestly don't remember. I, I, so I recognize him. And then... So that was one thing they didn't mess with, was the Rancor. Great. One thing they did mess with was the Sarlacc. And, again, the CGI that they added was just awful. Like, they added this big mouth that comes out of the sand. It reminded me of Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors. Like, feed me, Jabba, feed me. Like, it was just, oh. You know what I'm talking about, that big mouth thing that came out? I honestly I haven't seen the
1: CGI version in a long time. I don't ha- I know they mess with it. I don't remember specifically what right, they did to Cuz you
0: it. watched the, you had the original. DVD. I, had I gotta original get those cut. DVDs off you, so I don't yeah. know. You. I want to then wrap things up with the ending of the movie obviously. The I I probably mentioned this a dozen times you know, on this podcast over the years, but I hate how Lucas doctored the end of this movie. Because the thing is in its original form, which you got to watch and I didn't. Is I believe the end of this movie, the way it was done, was perfect. It is like the cherry on top of this amazing Sunday dessert after the greatest cinematic meal of all time, you know? And, like, I I love how in the original, you see the ghost of Ben, you know, and then at the end of Jedi, you know, Luke looks off into the forest and he sees the, the ghost of Ben again. You know, because he's been established. And then it pulls back and you see the ghost of Yoda. And then finally, you see the ghost of Anakin. But it's played by Sebastian Shaw, the actor behind the mask of Vader in the the death scene. Mm -hmm. You couldn't leave good enough alone, could you, Lucas? No. He had to go and superimpose Hayden Christensen. He took the best movie ending in history and instantly turned it into the worst movie ending in history in my mind.
1: Well, and I and again, my wife was watching the end of it with me. And I said, if I had a young if I had young children and I wanted them to watch this for the first time and I gave them I want and I had them watch it in the order that I watched it. The order was really Star Wars Empire Jedi. They're going to watch the end of Jedi and go, who the heck is that?
0: Who's that guy? Because if you haven't
1: watched episode one, episode two, episode three, you don't know who Hayden Christensen, the actor is. You don't know that he plays the young Darth Vader. And and why would you? And so, yeah, uh, it, out of context of those other three movies, you'd have no idea who that was. So, yeah, I agree. I think that was a, a, a poor, poor change um, as so many of the the, the edits were. Uh, yeah, definitely had some well, issues. And,
0: and Like you and I were just talking about this isn't Vader's story. It's Luke's story. And the, th- the other thing, too, is, is Ben's ghost is is him when he's old before he died and right. Yoda's ghost is him from when he died Vader's nah. let's go back 30 years and have his ghost be Hayden Christensen like the whole point of having Sebastian Shaw in that scene at, at that age you know showed him you know that he's got hair and his scars mm. are gone and most importantly he's smiling like he was at peace it's just it's so perfect
1: and just got ruined yeah hey I want to uh just a couple of quick points before we move on yeah uh Pop quiz for you. Sure. What is your favorite Stormtrooper armor of all the ones that you've seen in in Star Wars Empire and Jedi?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. You know what I always kind of liked as a kid was the Snowtrooper one in um, Empire Strikes Back, where it's got that kind of like that long face, kind of white yeah. face shield. I remember yeah. having the uh, the figure as a kid, and I always liked that one. So I guess I'll go with that one. My my favorite, honestly, was the one in Endor. The ones that ride the speeder bikes. I just
1: i love them they had the little like side shields on the side of their helmet Mm i i i don't know i always just thought those were the coolest ones and honestly that was one of the only star wars toys i never had never had that specific stormtrooper um so yeah i wanted to ask you that um a question for you Mm -hmm. in star wars so much of this story is talked about the dark side and the light side of the force and the dark side is the bad side Would you not think that the Jedis that are on the, quote, dark side would call it something different? It's like, let's let's be controversial for a minute. If we're talking about abortion, you don't have pro-life and anti-life. You don't have pro-choice and anti-choice. Both groups have given themselves a name that they feel positively represents their
0: opinion. Bad guys always think that they're good yes you know like that, they think what they're doing is the right thing you I know agree. they're misguided but you're right so they wouldn't go and call it the dark side they would say this is the right side this is the the, the way you know or the the powerful side like mm-hmm. it just it again it's one of those things i'm watching this movie for the
1: 30th time and and it sort of jumped out at me a little bit and i thought they kept talking about join us and join the dark side like we are evil and it's like but villains generally don't feel that they are the villain of their own story. So that sort of bothered me a little bit. Again, I know that the 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 audience for this movie from Lucas's point of view is it was like he wants this to be a family friendly for children of all ages. So you got to make it simple. You can't complicate the story. Um but that sort of that really jumped out at me a little more this time around just because they kept saying it join the dark side join the dark side join i'm like why do you keep calling it the dark side call it what you, whatever you think it would be
0: but anyway that was one thing and all and also the way they use colors to back that up if you think about back to the first movie you got darth vader is black but the stormtroopers are all white mm-hmm. and, but the rebels all wear black but princess leia wears white it was like like and even in in jedi uh luke or in the first movie luke wears white but in jedi wears black like there's all these archetypes of colors too that come into it. So speaking of that, that's a good segue here. Mm-hmm.
1: The, the sort of the last point I want to make is, I again really noticed this time, up until Return of the Jedi, in every single scene, every single time that Darth Vader appears on screen, I mean every single time, his suit is polished and shiny, yes, and and jet black, until the final fight with Luke, and it gets all dirty and dusted and it's not as dark it's not shiny and reflective it's almost got like these light sprinkles of dust Mm -hmm. on it and i never picked up on that until this viewing and it's like so if you're talking about this as possibly being the redemption of darth vader you could see it as symbolic of the suit that had always been jet black because he is the dark side well maybe now he's he's thinking well is the dark side the side I should be on? Uh, he's he's wavering a little bit. His son is trying to convince him, and the physical outward appearance of this black shiny suit is no longer as shiny. It's a little tarnished. It's a little. It's not as dark. And again, I, I I've watched this movie thirty times or more, and this was the first time I picked up on that. So again, just those little details in the mm. movie that uh That's a good that point. somebody probably very deliberately made this this happen this way and.
0: All these years, I'd never picked up on it until this time. So. so just as an overview, things that you liked about Jedi. I'll give you my list, okay? Fire away. Like Jabba. I thought it was great. Nia of course, Buddha The Battle of the Big Ships was phenomenal. One of the greatest yes. space battles I've ever seen. Leia, of course, in the gold bikini. You know, got to go with that. Yep. And also, finally, I think the theme of forgiveness. So there was a lot of things I liked about this movie.
1: Yeah, this one definitely had some uh, some some entertaining scenes. Uh, I, I liked the entirety of Jabba's Palace. I liked from the time when the droids show up at the front door to the sail barge to the time where they're all leaving and Luke's like, don't forget to pick up the droids. That whole sequence runs about 25 minutes. I love it. I think it's great. I don't like that it takes five or 10 minutes at the beginning to sort of get there. They, I don't think that scene at the beginning with the Emperor arriving on the, the Death Star really... I, honestly i just i didn't care for it uh i think there was a better way to add those details but uh it is what it is prince leigh in the gold bikini of course um i actually really liked the speeder bike chase through the forest yes um,
0: that was I, a good one too. i
1: thought it was really good i thought it was you know when you've already done so many special effects spectacles in part one and part two when you get to part three in return of the jedi it's sort of like well what have we not done yet and so you mentioned the giant space battle. So, you know, it had to be bigger and better than what they had done in the past. And it, I think it was, and I think it worked very well. And so, yeah, I really like the speeder bike uh, chase through the forest. I thought that worked really, really well. So, yeah, no, it was, uh, again, this is this is a good movie. if it, it gets a lot of crap, and I think it's way better than people remember it being. And, I, and if you haven't watched Return of the Jedi in its entirety on its own without watching the other movies... Give it a revisit, and for God's sake, if you can
0: find the original, get, watch the original. Rate it out of 10 for me, if you would.
1: 8.5? Eight 8.5 or a 9? I'll give it an 8.5. I'll give it a 9.5. Okay, you've like convinced it. me. I'll give it a 9. Yeah, I like it that much. Oh, God, yeah, it no, good. It's, it's quite
0: good. All right, let's have some fun with Caveman. <laughs> All right, Derek, we are going to do some standard trivia tonight and ask okay. you some trivia questions but i'm gonna ask you trivia about movie trilogies
1: oh perfect i honestly i thought if it's
0: my turn to do trivia i'm gonna ask you about movie trilogies so i'm glad you picked this topic there you go okay so i'm gonna ask you trivia questions about movie trilogy you're gonna nail all these i'm sure all Okay, we right we're gonna start out with some easy ones back to the future okay one of the most beloved movie trilogies of all time right so in the first movie what speed did the DeLorean need to get to in order to achieve time travel? 88 miles per hour. Yes, it also needed 1.21 gigawatts of power to do that as well. Okay, George A. Romero left his mark on movie history with a trilogy of films about the undead. But in the first film, Night of the Living Dead, what one word was never used to describe the undead zombies yes very good okay the matrix trilogy Ooh, okay. what was neo's official name in the real
1: world uh anderson his last name was anderson i think it was john anderson
0: close thomas anderson thomas anderson, thomas anderson. okay oceans 11 was a trilogy okay in the first movie What were the three casinos the group was trying to rob? You're going to know this. You're a Vegas guy. You're going to nail this one.
1: Yeah. The MGM, the Bellagio, and the Mirage.
0: Yes. Okay. At the end of the second Pirates of the Caribbean film. Oh, boy. Okay. What creature does Jack Sparrow go to battle with?
1: Oh, boy. Um... It's been a very long time since I watched those movies. Let's say uh, Kraken.
0: That's correct. At the end of Dead Man's Chest in nice. 2006, he went to battle with Kraken. Okay, the Mad Max trilogy. Ooh. I'm calling it a trilogy because to me, that later one, the one you made me watch, it didn't really have to. Yeah, be it's Mad more Mad of a reboot. Man. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Okay. So in the second film, what yep. resource was in demand? Gasoline. Hannibal Lecter appeared in a trilogy of films, Derek, from 1991 to 2002, beginning with The see. Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Well, the second film was titled Hannibal. What was the name of the final film in the trilogy released in 2002?
1: Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, Red Dragon was the title. But it was a prequel. It was a prequel to Silence of the Lambs, and it was a remake of Manhunter.
0: Hmm. All right. Uh, in Jurassic Park three. Yep. What does the character Billy try to steal from the island?
1: Hmm. Uh, Ooh, it's been a while since I saw that. I know the kid was left behind. What does he try and steal from the island? Mm -hmm.
0: A dinosaur egg. All right. Yes. It was raptor eggs. He tries to steal raptor eggs in his backpack. All right, so Steven Spielberg directed Jurassic Park and The Lost World, but he did not return to direct Jurassic Park 3. Who directed that film? No, I have no idea. You've been mentioned in the um, the, the documentary recently about uh, Industrial Light and Magic. Like, might get it. Joe Johnson. Joe oh, Johnson directed Yeah, that. No, I had no idea. All right, and the last one. In the Omen Trilogy... A young Damien Thorne is the living embodiment of Satan on Earth. In the final film in the trilogy, what actor played the adult Damien Thorne? I haven't seen any of them, so I have no idea. Oh, I like this movie from 1981, The Final Conflict. It was Sam Neill. Sam? Oh, really? Yeah, from Jurassic. Speaking Park. of Jurassic Park, <gasps> yeah, that's why I, oh, I didn't know, know that. Okay. <sighs> so oh you did pretty good though you got most of them right so you may nice. only the last ones i made them a little bit harder toward the end I, you didn't give me anything on lord of the rings but i guess that's a yeah. trilogy a little after your time and yeah, you didn't exactly. give
1: me any from the godfather either which no. i was a little surprised at yeah
0: no, I, had, I had lots to pick from so i thought yeah. oh, i'll just go with a couple of these ones so the next time we get together we're going to come back with a topic or a top five list so we'll do that uh but until next time this is chris mcbryan on behalf of myself and Derek Meyer saying, thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.